Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our, our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's a beautiful day when you have a, a, a baptism, when you get to see what it is that God promises to us through, the, through the, the washing of God's word and through the water in God's word. And what we proclaim in baptism is something that is actually very, very difficult to practice. And what's very difficult to practice is, is if I can say it, <laughs> is forgiveness. Who doesn't struggle with this? Who doesn't have a person in their life that they keep forgiving over and over and over? Or who doesn't have someone that they just can't quite bring themselves to forgive? Peter has this problem, and he comes to our Lord and he says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I, and I forgive him? As many as... Seven times? And Jesus said, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times, 70 times seven. Now, for those of y'all doing math, I, I knew the answer to this a while back. It's like 400 and something, but who's counting, right? That's not the point, yeah? The point is not how many times, and we can't just read this in a fairly pharisaical way and say, oh, well, Jesus said 70 times seven. So... Once you've reached that 400 and something mark, that's it. You're on your own. It means that you never stop. Now, our sinful flesh hates this. Our sinful flesh hates to hear that we actually have to bow down. That we actually have to humble ourselves to those who seek our, our forgiveness. That we actually, in the name of Christ, must take on the pain that comes from forgiving them. And our Lord puts it in context. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his, his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Do you all know how much that is, first of all? To put it into perspective, because we all, because you know, depending on the job, you can make so much per year. Let's just say a talent is a year's wage. He owed his master 10,000 years worth of wages. And since he could not pay, that kind of goes without saying, right? This man owes him lifetimes worth of wealth. Since he could not pay, his master gave the order for him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. Now that may shock us a little bit. You take someone that owes you a lot of money, and you sell them into slavery so that you can recoup some cost, right? Something must be done about the debt. And even though the master wouldn't receive nearly half, not even probably a quarter, one-eighth, one-sixteenth 
or even less of that, what was owed. That was the payment. So the servant fell on his knees and implored him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. This poor man, when faced with the consequences of his sin, right, his trespass, his not paying back a debt, when faced with the consequence, it is too much to bear and yet he still thinks that he can do it. He still thinks that he can pay it back. And then it says, out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now I'm going to go back to that word pity here just a little bit. Just hold on to that word though, pity. Think of the word compassion and you'll know what I'm getting at. He had compassion for him. And out of compassion, the master released him and forgave him the debt. But... And this is the astonishing part, I think, for us as Christians. It should be anyways. The astonishing part is that when that same servant who had just been forgiven, who had just received so much grace and mercy, when he goes out, he finds one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, a mere pittance compared to what was done for him, owed him a hundred denarii, which probably would have been able to be paid back in, I don't know, like a year at the most, maybe less, six months. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. And what did the servant do? Did he say, well, you know, since I was just forgiven this great debt, I'm going to do the same for you? No. He refused and went out and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then this master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow Servant, as I had mercy on you, and in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all the debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is one of those readings that come up <laughs> in the lectionary, and I think to myself, oh boy, oh man, this is a tough one. Because like I said before, who hasn't had someone in your life that you were just so tempted to say, I just can't forgive them. I just can't do it. But what they did to me, how they treated me, what they said about me, what they did to me, it was just too much. I can't bear it. That's the sinful flesh talking. It's the prideful self saying, that you deserve better than what you get. And when we hear that, it makes us uncomfortable. Because while we would like to see ourselves as someone who does have compassion, who does have pity, we are nothing in comparison to our Lord. I told you to hold on to that word, pity or compassion that the master has. 
You might have heard me say on this, I've made a lot of hay out of it, but as a pastor, I wind up saying things over and over and over again because we need to hear them over and over and over again. But that word in the Greek is that great word, splagnitsama, compassion, a feeling of tremendous pain in your gut because you feel so badly for somebody else. And remember how I've said before that nowhere else in the Bible, at least in the New Testament, is anybody ascribed to having that kind of compassion except for Jesus Christ. And in the parables, we can tell who's who. In the parable who has compassion, we know that that person is standing in the place of Christ. That while we look at what other people do to us and we are upset and we are tremendously troubled, pained. We are nothing in comparison to the pain that God feels when we sin. Think about it this way. If you're around other people, more often than not, you do your best to be on your best behavior, depending on the company you keep, right? But if you're around other people, you are loath or you are trying your best not to insult them, not to speak badly of them, but to be kind to them, to treat them as you would like to be treated. But then as soon as people go away, as soon as you are by yourself, what happens? Temptation comes, and all the while, in thought, word, and deed, we sin in everything we do. Therefore, we are that servant who owed 10,000 lifetimes, 10,000 years, many lifetimes worth of debt to our master. There is no way that we could repay it. And when we bow down and we say, Lord, I will make it right, he has pity on us because he knows it can't be done. He knows it cannot be done. And so, as before, the debt must be paid. The master was going to sell his servant, his wife and his children and all that he had to make up some difference. The debt doesn't just go away. And I wonder if sometimes we as Christians forget that. So easily we think about our sins being forgiven. What does that mean? They have to go somewhere. Someone has to take them on. Someone has to make an account. Someone has to pay the debt. Is it you? Is it me? Thanks be to God. It is Christ our Lord. He takes the debt. He takes our sin. Every whip, every scourge, every shout of shame and spit, every slanderous word that we deserve, he takes upon himself and he pays it. He swallows it up so that we can know who we are before God as his baptized children, as those who have been washed clean, that though our sin were scarlet, it is now white as snow. It is taken away. It doesn't just disappear but it does die. It dies with Christ.
It is paid with his death. So that we can therefore go and be like our master. So that we, we can therefore go and be like Micah says. He has told us what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Not because that's what earns you salvation, but because your salvation is one in Christ. Your salvation is one in his blood shed for you. Your salvation is one in his crucifixion. So that you can hear those words with joy. Not as a requirement, a debt to be paid, but as a joyful obligation that we do justice, we love kindness, we walk humbly with our God because he walked with us in the flesh, the flesh of Jesus Christ, so that we can be sure, like St. Paul, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, that on the last day you will stand, not condemned like the ungrateful servant, but you will stand as his beloved child, forgiven, washed clean, pure as the driven snow, standing in the place where God would have you stand as his child, seeing nothing but Jesus Christ and his goodness, his grace, and his, his, his righteousness. So that we would not hear the words, so also will my heavenly Father do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart, but so that we can be like St. Paul and say that our prayer is that our love may abound more and more with knowledge and, and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And may this grant you that peace which surpasses understanding and which will guard your hearts through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen.